Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley Miltite. This time, many of us are working like mad during this pandemic, but are we asking for what we want and need at work? Is now an okay time to ask because everybody's under stress, because my company laid off a bunch of people, because the company's not doing well, because I'm worried that they're going to get upset with me. Getting what you want in difficult times. Coming up on The Broad Experience. As I think about what's happening to women's careers right now, one of the things I've been thinking about in particular is negotiation. At the best of times, a lot of women are reluctant to negotiate. Asking for something for ourselves goes against the way so many of us have been socialised. In a time like this, I am pretty sure that if I were working for an organisation, I would be held back by all the usual things like not wanting to make a nuisance of myself at a terrible time, seeing things from the company's perspective. And yet I know from past work I've done on this topic that people can negotiate successfully pretty much any time. I wanted to talk to someone about how to get what you want at work during COVID. So recently I sat down with Fotini Iconomopoulos. She lives in Toronto. She began her career working in manufacturing, ended up doing all the negotiation with the big customers like Walmart. Then she went on to work for a company that did negotiation training. And several years ago, she went out on her own. She started her own business teaching negotiation techniques within companies and to MBA students. And she does a lot of speaking at conferences as well. Fertini says she came by this knowledge naturally. I've been negotiating my whole life. If you've ever seen the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, that is indeed exactly how I grew up without exaggeration. So negotiating with a big fat Greek dad certainly primed me for a lot of the stuff that I do today in the corporate world. We're talking of culture. Canada is a big immigrant nation and Toronto is a really popular city for immigrants to settle in. So I just, I wonder when you're teaching students or working with clients from immigrant backgrounds, do they find it harder to negotiate at all? I do think that culture absolutely affects how we negotiate without question. And I think it depends on which culture. So as a woman born to Greek immigrant parents, I mean, it's part of our culture to negotiate everything. I've watched my dad negotiate everything growing up. Um, And my mom is that sly negotiator where you don't realize she's negotiating, but she is. 
So that's part of our culture. If you were to go to a market in Greece and growing up, I did. I, we, we traveled and visited family and so on. That was part of the cultural norms. You assume you're going to negotiate. And I teach MBA classes that are full of international students. And I'd say Canada in general is still a very young country. We, we are not like the U.S. that was founded over a couple hundred years ago. My parents only came here in the 60s and 70s. And I would say now they've consider, they're considered to have been around a long time. So when I look at some of my Indian students who come in, they're again used to some of that cultural norm of negotiating for everything. But then I look at some of the other elements of those cultures too, and I go, women are are raised to be more submissive. They're raised not to, you know, raise their voices and so on. And they bring that with them as well. And so some of my students and some of the people I talk to are very good at adapting to the current environment and going, I'm going to leave my baggage behind. But others at a subconscious level have a really hard disentangling themselves from those cultural norms. And so it takes someone like me to push them and go, why aren't you asking? And then they go, I don't know. I guess because I never saw my mom asking, I didn't bother doing it. Or because I was told you're not supposed to speak unless spoken to, I didn't bother doing it. So we're in this moment now where I bet that there are so many women who've, who have still have their jobs, they're working like crazy. It's a nutty time as we still go through COVID in many parts of the world. And they would love to ask for something at work, whether it's the raise, whether it's more flexibility, anything, but they feel like, I just don't think now's the right time. Everything's so difficult. I bet there are lots of people out there secretly wishing they could ask for something, but they're not. What are you hearing on that score? Am I onto something? You are for sure. And it, it truly breaks my heart to read about all the statistics that we're seeing now in a COVID world where women are the ones that are being set back. Women are the ones who are managing all the conflict at home, managing education, who are literally taking a back seat. And so I am hearing about so many women who are reaching out to me, whether they were former MBA students that I've been teaching, whether they are people who have been in, in audiences before in my keynotes, and even some corporate clients who are going, I'm struggling, but is now an okay time to ask? because everybody's under stress, because my company laid off a bunch of people, because the company's not doing well, because I'm worried that they're going to get upset with me. And there's so many excuses to not do it. But my world has always been about helping people find the reasons to do it. It's about finding your value, understanding the value that you bring. And not only that, but finding a way to do it in a way where there won't be any repercussions, where you can mitigate the risk of being seen as greedy, abrasive, bitchy, and all of those things. Right. Well, we'll talk about what women can do now then, because a very early story I did on negotiation years ago, like 15 years ago, I'll never forget this older white guy said, women are great employees because they always see things from my point of view. Oh. I mean, he was, he knew the situation, but, and he was half laughing, but he was like, they do back down sooner than men. Because the minute I say, well, you know, now's not a great time for us, they'll back off. So it's about taking that soundbite, what you just said about how they see things from my point of view or for the company's point of view and using it to your advantage. So what you're going to ask for, how does that help the company? If you need flex time because you need to manage your kid or you need to just take a mental break or whatever it is, how is that going to be helpful to you? And then translate that into how is that going to be helpful to the company? 
if you can give me this flex time or this thing that I'm asking for, it's going to make me a much more productive employee. It's going to make this job more sustainable. It's going to prevent me from having a nervous breakdown, whatever that thing is, that's actually going to benefit the organization. That's all that is, is reframing, but you need to not put your own needs aside. You need to make sure that you're not a victim of your own empathy. And that's what I tell women all the time is like, oh, you're great at thinking about what, how is this going to benefit the team? Or how can I help the organization right now? Or I don't want to be a burden to the organization right now. That is the empathy gone too far. I want people to think about how do I make sure that my needs are taken care of in the context of the, it will also help the organization move forward. Because the truth of the matter is, if you are burning out, if you are overdoing it, you're not putting 100% into everything. You're not going to get the results. You're going to be making more mistakes. You're not going to be able to survive this. Eventually, you're just going to quit because you're going to go, I can't do this job and manage all of these other things that are going on. Or even if it's something as simple as, you know, I found out my peers are getting paid more than me and I'm pissed off. That is going to, it's going to fill you with resentment. And again, you won't be that fully productive employee. So it might be something as simple as framing it as, hey, I want to make sure that I'm the most productive, that I'm, I'm feeling valued. And when I'm feeling valued, I'm giving it my all and you get a lot more out of me. What can we do to maximize my productivity here? What can we do to make sure that I am feeling valued here the way others are also feeling valued? So the form of a question is a great tactical way of managing it, but not a question of permission. It's not, can you do this for me? Because then you're giving them the option to say no. It's, how do you work on this for me? What do we do to make this a reality? Now, what about money, though? Because I can see how a lot of people might choose to negotiate for, say, more flexibility in lieu of negotiating for money, but because they feel like this is a terrible time to ask for more money. But what would you say about, about asking for more money at a time like this? I would say know the situation. Go in and do your research about context. Is the company suffering? Like, are they are they truly laying people off because they're barely keeping the lights on? That might be a terrible time to, to ask for money, but you can still position yourself to set up a better time to do it. So if the company's not down on their luck or suffering because of COVID or whatever it is, you can come in and be the one that acknowledges and is empathetic and go, I get that right now isn't a great time. We are going to have to talk about this subject at some point. What do we need to see in terms of a turnaround? When do you expect things to get better? I would almost prefer you to set up your next negotiation now because you're demonstrating that I'm not going to be ignored, but I'm also not going to be a jerk who's going to be asking for something I know you can't afford to do right now. Then again, some companies are doing okay right now, even if it's harder for employees to actually do their work for all the usual COVID reasons. Everybody might be a little bit more stressed out because we're juggling a bunch more responsibilities or it's harder to do it remotely. But if there's still cash flows coming in the way there was before, or some companies are even thriving right now, why in the hell would you hold back from doing it? That's the question I make people ask themselves. This past summer, Fotini heard from a woman she'd helped through a negotiation a couple of years ago when she first started in a new job. And she said, it's time for me to get a promotion. It's time for me to get a raise and I'm not getting enough. But uh, I do know that the company is suffering. They laid off a bunch of people. A bunch of people took pay cuts. However, my department, what I am driving in this business is carrying a bunch of other departments. Well, then shouldn't this person be rewarded for that? 
how do you make them acknowledge that? How do you make them then go, you know what, you are right. If we, if it wasn't for you and your team and what you're churning out, we wouldn't be able to keep these other people employed. So then it's about, again, having that conversation of what can you do right now? And if now's not the right time, when is, when can we do something? How can we make it retroactive? How can we make sure that I'm feeling rewarded for this? Because I will end up on the brink of burnout. And if that happens, that's not going to be good for anybody. And she ended up getting a phenomenal result. She said, it's not what we would have had in past years, but she said, I almost didn't ask for anything. And so I feel good that at least I got some increase and there was a promise of in six months time, we'll review and see what we can do to improve things later. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. So as Fatini says, negotiation is a matter of persuasion and engagement as much as anything else. Seeing things from the other side's point of view, but not too much. When I posted about this topic on Facebook a while ago, one listener in Ireland got in touch with me. She was worried because she's on maternity leave and she was due to be promoted. Then all promotions got cancelled during COVID. She's at home with a baby, two other kids. She feels like she'll be forgotten about by the time she goes back to work. Fertini says, with maternity leave, ideally you'll plan it out and be strategic. In a pre-COVID world, she used to tell people, If you're going to go into the office and visit with the baby, strategically plan to be there when you know the bosses are going to be around and so on and so forth. Because you want to make sure that you are top of mind to them. You want to stay relevant. You want to, be, you want to remind them, I still exist. Depending where in the world you live, doing that is less easy during COVID. But she says the same principles she's already talked about apply to coming back from your leave and not getting sidelined. It's about reminding people of your strengths and presenting yourself as someone who can help them solve problems. If you can present yourself as someone who's going to relieve some of their stress, why wouldn't they want to have a conversation for you? Why wouldn't they want to carve out time in a Zoom meeting or whatever it might look like? And I would also be cognizant of doing that same networking with people around the organization, even before you speak to, let's say, the decision maker. Know what's going on. Know what moves have been made. Know who's in what positions now, what positions might become available, what the culture is like, how things might have changed since the last time you were there. Stay in touch with your friends in that sense. Should you be able to just tap out and enjoy your year or however long you have of mat leave without thinking about work? Sure. But the reality is you're going to have to go. So why not set yourself up for success? So do a little bit of that groundwork to stay in touch with people, to connect with them. And then that'll make it's again, it's research, it's power, it's information that you're going to use to make yourself relevant again so that you can demonstrate that you're not entirely out of the loop. You've actually, in talking about this, you've reminded me to ask about something else, which is 
isn't this stuff a bit trickier now that most of us, and I think many of the people listening to this, will not yet be back in a physical office with their managers and their colleagues? So it's all very well asking for things when you're looking at somebody face to face. But how would you suggest that we that we tackle these kinds of questions in a virtual world. And, and actually, and that extends to networking as well, to keeping in touch with people, to being strategic about who we speak to and reminding people that we exist. Yeah, my preference is to avoid email because, I mean, I just find, I don't know about you, but I am more and more inundated with emails now than I've ever been before because everybody is sitting at a computer. Um, and I feel like difficult or crucial conversations are always better done in a face-to-face world. Face-to-face now for us just means Zoom or whatever tool you're using. I do prefer to have that visual representation of some kind because we communicate in three ways. We communicate using our words, we communicate using our sounds, and we communicate using our nonverbal communication. When you eliminate any of those forms and you're reducing it to just a phone call, for example, they can't see the look of endearment on your face, the look of concern, trust, empathy, any of those things. So there's a little bit of room for misinterpretation there. Maybe that was sarcasm. Maybe it wasn't. I can't see her face, so I can't tell if she's smiling. If you're doing it over email, there's a reason why we have a million and one emoticons or emojis that are now out there because or an acronym like, uh, I'm not sure if they're going to tell I'm joking, so I'll throw an LOL on there, or I'll throw a smiley face on there, and so on. It's because there's so much room for misinterpretation. So you might be misinterpreted as abrasive, or any of those things, if you haven't taken your time to think through really carefully, the sandwich of cooperation. So when you're writing an email, it's, hey, I hope you had a great weekend. Um, there, there was at the beginning of COVID, it was hope you're staying healthy or whatever it is. Um, but you want to start with that warmth in the beginning of your email, get to the meat of it, and then sandwich it again with a little bit more warmth. When you're doing something over email, you always want to make sure at the end of it that it's not let me know your thoughts. You don't leave it out there into the ether as a passive comment that they can or can't respond to if they feel like it. It's finishing it with a question of when is the best time for us to have a conversation about this? So if you are going to be reaching out to them to kick off this communication process, to even ask for a Zoom meeting, it's not saying, um, I'd love to talk to you when you have time. Thanks. Signed, Fotini. It's, no, no. It is, when is the best time for us to have this conversation? I've got openings on Thursday and Tuesday. Which of those is most appropriate for you? Now, because it's in the form of a question, intuitively, socially, we are compelled to feel the need to answer a question because there's an action that is asked of us. And because of that, once I answer that question now, the principles of persuasion tell us that at, a, at an ego level, at a subconscious level, I feel accountable to what I just answered to you. So if I say, um, Thursday's the best time. Now I feel like I have to carve out that time on Thursday and I'm not likely going to ignore you. I've now opened the door for us to have this conversation on Thursday. She says if you really hate the idea of a video meeting and you think you would screw up, you could do this by email. But she says if you are going to negotiate this way, you need to think really carefully about how you phrase things. You should ask somebody else to look over the email to make sure it comes across the way you want it to, because it is so easy to come off wrong in writing. And you don't want to be using emojis in a negotiation. (music) 
I want to end the show where we began, with this idea of the role culture plays in our lives. Several years ago, Fatini was getting ready to teach her first ever negotiation workshop in her non-native language of Greek. I speak Greek at home, but it's a very different, it's a very simplified, like, you know, a kid in the second grade would speak the level of Greek that I got that I speak at home. She was going to be speaking at a company in Athens. Greece is a patriarchal society. She knew that. She grew up around it. She also knew the likelihood was that this group of executives would be almost 100% male. So she studied up on business Greek, spent a lot of time with her head in a dictionary. She knew that as a young woman, then in her early 30s, going into a room full of senior middle-aged Greek men, she had to present herself in just the right way. And at the end of this workshop, the one woman who was there came over and she goes, I just need to shake your hand. And I said, why? She goes, I don't know how you did it. I know these guys. And they had their phones down the whole time and they were listening to you the whole time. And it was just about how I commanded myself from the very beginning of this thing. Because they walk, I walked in and I was clearly much younger than them. And I wasn't speaking Greek the way they did. And they knew I was from Canada. And I had enough intrigue for them to go, who is this person? And why does my boss trust that she's going to be the best person for me to listen to? But I also commanded myself with a, with a little bit of, you know, I have, I have students in my classes who are quite nervous about the fact that they don't speak English as a first language or that their, their, their language skills aren't as good as they'd like for them to be. And I said, look, when I go into Athens and I run a workshop, I say flat out, clearly you can tell this is not my first language. This is one of four languages that I speak. And if you prefer me to do this in English, so I'm more comfortable, I'm happy to do that. I'm doing you a favor, basically, read between the lines. I'm doing you a favor that I'm speaking to you in Greek right now. There's this element of confidence slash arrogance. It's a healthy level of arrogance to go, yeah, I'm not speaking Greek the way you do, but I know you don't speak English the way I do. And I know you don't speak these other languages that I do. So listen up, gentlemen. That's kind of the undertone of everything that I say. But I, again, I've got to be really careful that I don't push the arrogance so far that you turn them off. And I think that really is an intuitive thing. It's a, it's a, you know, really watching the faces and everything in the room as well. I will say that I won them over by the end of the session. They're like, next time you're in the country, make sure you come out. We're going to take you out for dinner and so on. So there is a lot of the cultural norms that also helped me along that along that path as well. It was an uphill battle going in, but I came with all of the ammunition that I needed in order to to make sure that I was ready for that battle. Finally, what do you think that your two cultures or the two main cultures in your life, Greek culture, Canadian culture, how do you think they've contributed to you as a woman in the workplace? That's a tough one. I've always felt like I have this kind of dichotomy in my brain of when I was a kid, you know, when people, it even as an adult actually happens all the time as an adult, people ask, what's your background? Where are you from? As if it's not assumed I'm from Canada. It's, it's a little bit offensive. I know people are just curious because I don't look like a typical Caucasian woman, even though on paper I am considered Caucasian. Um, I've experienced racism. I've listened to people say awful things to my dad. Uh, the go back to where you came from type of stuff that is burned into my memory. So I try to make sure that I don't hold that against everybody when I'm walking around society. When someone asks me, what's my background? I try to make sure that I'm not offended by it. And I think that's the Canadianism coming out in me. Um, I do think that the assertiveness that I have is very much my Greek roots. I think that the cooperativeness that I have is very much my Canadian roots. Because I came from 
a workplace that told us that you don't want to be liked, you need to be respected. I've come from studying the subject for so long that I understand likability is actually a very important piece of negotiation and persuasion. And so I think that Canadianness is what's helped me tap into the likability. That's not to say that Greeks aren't likable people because we are a very hospitable bunch. You know, there's a word called philotimo and another philoxenia, which means friend of strangers. There's a there's an element there that of hospitality that I, I know is deep in my DNA. But I do think that the Canadian polite stuff is not overwhelming for me because I have this other other element of my personality to bring it back because Canadians are famous for apologizing for everything. <laughs> and I'm definitely not that person. Um, but I think it's because of my my upbringing with my my dad, especially that has that very, very Greek extreme. And then I'm surrounded by students and children and, and co-workers and things like that who have that very Canadian extreme. And I've just found a place where they can both live in harmony that I really think has been the key to so much of my success. Thanks to Fotini Iconomopoulos for being my guest on this show. She has a book coming out next spring. It's called Say Less, Get More, Unconventional Negotiation Techniques to Get What You Want. I will link you to Fotini's website under this episode at thebroadexperience.com. And if you want to hear more about negotiation, you will find two episodes I did about this in 2018. They are episodes 128 and 129. And 128 has a lot of information around the psychology and strategies of negotiation. My guest in that show was Natalie Reynolds. Even though I have done a lot of reporting on negotiation over the years, I learned things from Natalie that I had never thought about before. And it was Natalie who hooked me up with Fotini for this show. That's the broad experience for this time. You can find me in all the usual places. You can email me at ashley at thebroadexperience.com. I'm always grateful to get your feedback. And if you enjoy the show and you haven't reviewed it yet, I would love it if you could do that. That's on Apple Podcasts. It actually does seem to help the podcast stand out and get found. So it is really worth it to me. We'll continue this series about what's happening to women's careers right now, next time. I'm Ashley Milne-Tite. Thanks for listening. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 